keep believing. Keep believing. Amen. Hmm. Now, the Lord wants me to, to keep talking about this. <laughs> when, I, when I backslid as a 16-year-old, when I backslid as a 16-year-old, I started that downward slide. It started with, why can't, why can't I hang around with these people? I don't see the harm. You know, my mom and dad weren't saved, so I was kind of trying to serve the Lord in ignorance on my own without any support. And uh, little by little, little decisions took me deeper and deeper and deeper until where I had lost more than I ever thought I would lose, lose of myself and my dignity, until I was doing drugs and things that I swore that I would never do. And this is the power of God. I was so rebellious, and I was all about myself. I didn't think about anybody else. And I had no relationship with my grandma. She was sweet and everything, but she kind of freaked me out. And uh, I didn't really like being around her. She made me uncomfortable because darkness was in me. And uh, I was just going worse and worse and worse. And I moved in with my uncle. And my uncle was living a very dark lifestyle. His house was full of drugs and every kind of wicked thing you could think of was going on there, from witchcraft to, to things I won't mention. And I'm living with him, and all of a sudden, my life just starts falling apart. And I'm about two miles from my grandma's house now. And my grandma's over there on her knees praying. And all of a sudden, I lose my job. And all of a sudden, I can't get a job. And I had always worked two and three jobs. It was not a problem for me to get a job. And uh, all of a sudden, I can't get a job. All of a sudden, all my relationships just fall apart. Nobody wants anything to do with me. All of a sudden, God started putting up walls all around me and isolating me. And I was hurting more and more and more. And I began to do more drugs. And I began to drink more. And I began to smoke pot and do cocaine and do whatever I could find that was around. I would do it because the pain was growing greater. So your loved ones that are getting worse, it's very possible that it's your prayers. It's very possible that the Lord is allowing them to reap what they're, what they're sowing so they'll get sick of it. Don't be discouraged when it gets worse. So as it's getting worse and worse, I made the most insane decision, so out of character for me. My grandma called and asked me to come live with her, and out of my mouth came yes. And I went and moved into the house with my little Pentecostal grandma where I was so uncomfortable. And I cannot tell you to, to this day, I mean, it was nothing but God took a hold of my mouth and made me say yes. And he moved me by the power of his spirit closer to her. And she had so much grace that I would go out all night. She would worry about me and pray for me all night. And I would come in. But the Lord wanted me closer for, for whatever reason. And he did that miraculously. He put me in her house. But then this great warfare began, and I would go back from her house to my uncle's house, from her house to my uncle's house. And I, and I think I shared this the other night. I decided I wanted to go to San Francisco and see what partying was really about. And uh, my grandmother would tell me later that she prayed for me harder during those two days than she ever prayed in her whole life. The travail and the being on her knees and the sense of urgency and I don't know what the devil had planned, but God won. And I was up there, and I began to see 
these signs, live sex acts, and people of the same sex making out, and just horrible things all around me. And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and showed me this is the end of your sin. This is the end of your lifestyle. This is the kind of demonic activity that you're associating yourself with. And something inside of me got so sick. And that little girl inside of me just wanted to run back to the Father. I began to be flooded with memories of church as a child, of the cleanness and the holiness and that presence I used to feel when we would sing those little songs. And I made all my friends get in the car, and I said, we're leaving. And we were all high on hash. They all got in the car and passed out. And on the way home, the Spirit of God just filled the car. And the Spirit of God began to bring back to my memory all of those songs, because I didn't, didn't know anything about the Bible. But all of those songs that were about Jesus began to rise up in my spirit, and I began to cry out to him to forgive me and to save me. And that was the result of my grandmother's prayers. Amen. You heard my husband tell the stories. God would show me what was going on with him. I would see the demon spirits when the devil was trying to take him out and kill him. It would have been easy to say, Marty knows the truth. Back in the early days, he had already been preaching, but he backslid. It would have been easy to say, Marty knows the truth. Let him go. But there was something on the inside of me. I knew that I had been born and called to walk by his side, to stand with him and to pray for him, no matter what it cost me. It's a calling. You need to be very careful who you marry, young people, and make sure it's the one that you're called to. If you're called to that one, God will give you the grace for good, for hard times, for whatever it is. But I remember one day, when he had been gone for a month, I heard the voice of the enemy come to me and say, let him go. Let him go. And I knew it was the enemy. And what, what the Lord revealed to me, and this was not a thought that crossed my mind. This was the voice of darkness that came to me and said, let him go. But within me, I knew in that moment that Satan had to ask me to let him go. Satan had to get me to let go. Satan had to get me to let go of the promises that I was holding on through the blood of Jesus Christ. He could not do it if I said, no, I'm not letting go. And it's a revelation I've held on to until this day, and I want to share it with you. If you know the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that has bought you all heavenly blessings, that has bought you every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. If you know that you know that you're a child of God and you're standing on that word, Satan can't do anything unless you move off of it. The Lord gave me a revelation a few weeks ago that was very powerful to me. He speaks to me in images and pictures a lot in my mind. And he showed me a piece of land, a big square piece of land. And he said, that land represents whatever land it is that I've promised you as a child of God. Any believer, you're standing on that land according to the promises of God, whether it be a lost loved one, your health, whatever it is. What he told me was, if you're standing on that piece of land, whatever it is that I've promised you and given you, he said, whether the enemy comes to try to take it or whether the enemy's already there and I tell you to go take it, 
He said, if I've told you to stand on that land in my word and by my spirit, he said, the devil will have to go if you will stand. And my mind began to be flooded with Ephesians 6, having done all to stand with the breastplate, with the armor, with the helmet, with the feet shod of the preparation of the gospel of peace. He didn't say to go anywhere. He said to stand. And so that's what came into my mind. We've got to have our armor on to stand. We cannot be lazy, casual Christians because Satan is throwing his darts at our, at our mind, at our heart, at every vulnerable place. And I love the feet shed with the proper preparation of the gospel of peace. That gave me trouble for a long time. Like, what does that mean? And the Lord has been showing me the big picture. The big picture. This word is one. It's whole. It's not divided. It's all one purpose and one thought and one heart of God. And if we try to take this word without the foundations that God laid, it's not going to be effective. We'll only get so far and we'll hit a wall. To the church, the commission is to go and win the lost. Whether you go physically or whether you like my grandma and you're on your knees praying for the body according as he called her to. He gave her a house full of ministers and told her to pray over them that they would go. And she was faithful to do that. But if you don't have a vision that lines up with God's vision, your feet are uncovered. You're going to end up not standing. You're going to end up going in the wrong places. It's part of the armor to know the purposes and and to preach and to believe in the spreading of the gospel of peace. And so what the Lord said was, if you won't move, the devil has to. But we all know that he is an ancient enemy, an ancient foe. He was there when, when God told Job that the morning stars sang together when he created everything. He was there. This creature was able to take a third of the angels who lived in the presence of God, who beheld the face of God Almighty, who lived in purity and cleanness and light, which no man can approach to, beauty and splendor that we can't even imagine. And Lucifer was able to persuade them to rebel against God. This is our enemy. And he knows how to get us to move anywhere that we're in the natural, anywhere that we're in the flesh, he is going to attack. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom those seeking those whom he may devour. And so what, the Lord, what the, the Lord gave it to me first, and I believe he wants me to share this with the body of Christ wherever I go, that the enemy is all about getting you to move off of the promise, to let go of the promise. So today, whatever it is, whatever it is, make a claim, stick a claim on it and make a commitment in your heart that you're going to discern the enemy and you're not going to be moved off. I know there's something in all of us where we vacillate. We go back and forth and, you know, we need to know what God said and we need to seek his face until we know what God said. I was sharing, speaking of that, there's some things that we can't know clearly from the word of God directly. We need revelation from God, such as decisions. There was a time early in our marriage, actually it was, it was a time early in our marriage when uh, my husband had backslid. And I had our first child, and she was about one years old. And he, it was when Brother Swaggart fell the first time, and Marty was a Bible college student, and it just destroyed his world. 
It just pulled everything out from under him. And I remember him telling me, if Brother Swigert can't do it, neither can I. And he just began to spiral downhill. And he went into depression, and he went back to, to drinking and doing things he shouldn't do. And I began to be attacked by demon spirits in dreams. I began to have dreams about my husband shooting me and my child. And they were very real and very frightening. And in my heart, and I had, I had uh, my stepdaughter had just come to live with us. And I became very fearful and very confused. But I knew enough to not react without seeking the face of God. You know, Israel always got in trouble when they would presume what God was going to do, when they would go to battle without checking. They would step out without checking. And so one night I told the Lord, I said, I'm going to take the children and I'm going to go home to my parents I wasn't interested in divorce, but I felt I was in a dangerous situation, and I was going to remove myself from it. But I told the Lord, I'm going to go downstairs, and I'm going to pray while Marty's asleep, and I want you to reveal to me if I'm in your will. And I'll never forget it. I took my, my little baby. She was about two months old in my arms, and I went downstairs, and I got on the floor. And when I was Coming down the stairs between the two floors, it was like the whole downstairs was lit up. It was the presence of God was there, and it was like he was there waiting for me. And we never know how important the decisions of our life are. We're bought and paid for by the blood. God has a plan on our life. Nobody knew who Marty Martinez was at that time. Nobody cared. You know, nobody knew about the gift and the calling except what God had put in, in my heart and in his heart. And I could have made a huge mistake either way. So I went down and I got on my knees and I began to repeat the prayer I had prayed earlier. And all of a sudden, it's the only time this has ever happened to me, but I heard the voice of an angel speaking from behind me. Not in my head, not in my heart, literally, physically heard the voice of an angel. And he called me woman. And he told me not to fear that Marty was going to be delivered from this. And to trust God. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm sharing these things to encourage you. I know that there are people that are in very dark places, very slippery places, very hard places. And God will be enough. God will manifest however he has to manifest for you if you trust him with all your heart. If like Job we could say, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. If we're truly, truly laying our lives on the altar... Amen? And so it was, a, it was about three days later on Sunday, I took the girls and I went to church. And when I got home, Marty had left me a long letter. He had gone out to pray. He said God had touched him. Everything had lifted off of him. And he was ready to serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. So... But if I had left, you see, Marty, Marty had a very hard childhood. And I'm sharing these things. Think about the people that you know that are hard, that are difficult, that you want to give up on, that sometimes it's hard to have mercy on them. He had a very, very hard childhood, and the devil knew because he was abandoned by his parents over and over and over again. And I didn't know this about him yet, but he said that the hardest thing in the world for him was just to be alone because as a child he was always alone. One day he came home from school and both of his parents had moved out, taken his sisters, and left him. 
Each parent thought the other one would get Marty, but neither one did, and no one bothered to check. <laughs> so loneliness could have destroyed him if I wasn't listening to God. And I had people telling me, God wouldn't expect you to walk through these things. God wouldn't do this to you. And it sounded so silly to me because my God sent his son to die on a cross for me. He did no fault. He didn't deserve it. I deserved it. So I'm talking to you about a serious Christian walk. I'm talking to you about laying down our lives for one another. And even me, I've, I've had these moments where the Lord has, has helped me to do that. But every day, every day, because my flesh is still there, until the resurrection happens or we go to the grave, the, the spirit and the flesh war against one another. And every day I need discernment. Every day I need direction. Every day I need his spirit. Amen? And so do you. But you all have loved ones, and I want to encourage you today. I was going to teach, but I, I just think that this is where the Lord wanted to go. God does not want you to quit. God does not want you to get, rather he wants you to press in harder. When we were, when we were up in Bishop, we had such a sense that we are on the edge of a great harvest, a great outpouring. It was like souls of people that I grew up with everywhere just had such a hunger in their eyes and a hunger in their heart, in their heart for the things of God. We saw several people's lives changed in just, in just four days of service. Christians who were bound and depressed and hooked on psych drugs and tearing their family apart because of, frankly, self-centeredness. That's the first place we'll go as human beings if we get away from the Lord at all, self-centeredness. And you know, that's kind of the problem with any gospel that's incomplete you know, we were, talking about, we were talking about the message of the cross as it concerns um, sanctification and the finished work of Calvary, which is totally 100% the heart of the gospel and correct. But do you know that we could turn that into something selfish so that our whole focus is on, am I living a victorious life? And all we're doing all day long is thinking about how, how am I walking? Am I having the victory? And, and I've seen more people hit walls going down it comes to an end because you're missing the purpose of God you know Paul said in Galatians he said you know it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that matters it's not I I keep the law I do all of these things yay or the other flag that says I don't keep the law at all I'm free I'm lawless it's neither one he said it's a new creation Read it in Galatians. He said, so it's not circumcision or uncircumcision, but a new creation. Because you know what? You can go from an attitude of I have to do thus and so and thus and so to please God to, hey, I don't have to do nothing to please God. But if you're not born again, you're not a new creation. And though you've thrown off the law, you're not pleasing God because you're in the flesh. You understand? We must be born again, and we must learn what the purpose in the heart of God is. Every time, every time God gives the church something, Satan tries to twist it. Satan tries to go, okay, there it is, and sew it up and seal it and build a little fort around it and say, just stay right there. And then the church gets sick, and then there has to be a move of God. 
We need the whole gospel. We need the whole heart of God. We need the whole counsel of God. Amen. In the, in the Old Testament, we, saw, we see, I'm going to teach just a little bit, we see the tabernacle coming into existence. And I was reading a couple of years ago, and I noticed that when the Lord laid out the tabernacle in the Word, he started with the Holy of Holies, and he mentioned all the furniture in the Holy of Holies. And then he went to the holy place where the showbread and the candles and the incense are. And then he went to the outer court where the brazen labor and the altar are. Well, I was reading a little later about Solomon's temple, and I noticed that when he laid out the temple, he started in the outer court. Then he moved to the holy place and then to the holy of holies. And the way my mind works, I said, why did you do that, God? Why didn't you list them both in the same order? There's got to be a reason. And what he showed me was in the tabernacle, he started with the holy, holy of holies because he was instituting the law through Moses, and he was giving them the tabernacle, the place of worship. And what he was saying was God had to reach down from heaven into the holy of holies where he will put his presence and then outward to mankind, to hold on to mankind. You see, at that time, God, God uh, before that, actually, God chose, um, God chose people in the Old Testament. He chose Abraham. He still chooses people, but wait, and I'm going to make a point. He chose Abraham with which to make a covenant so that he could have a way to hold on to mankind until the coming of Jesus Christ. He chose the prophets. He chose the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. And they went on and they served in the temple and did the things that God prescribed in order to keep a relationship going with God Almighty until his plan could be fulfilled through Christ. And if you look, the first thing that happens is after a measure of time, we come up to Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, a backslidden priest and his two sons that became so hard-hearted and so backslidden that the Bible says that the people were grieved to even go to the temple and worship. They were forcing offerings from the people. His sons were sleeping with women in front of the tabernacle, just evil, evil, filthy and what did God do? He allowed the ark to be taken. He allowed the whole system to be removed. And then, we, and then we jump ahead. And we have Solomon build the beautiful temple. And then throughout, the ark is returned, and Solomon builds the temple. And throughout the 400 years of the kings, we see sin and backsliding. Now, in the political world, because we have a kingdom with a king, and in the church, which we're supposed to work together. And for 400 years, God is merciful and warns them. And what happens in the end? The captivity, they're carried away. The temple is destroyed. God just removes the whole system. Because men keep messing up what God institutes with greed, with pride, with power and control issues over and over again. And then we have the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel's temple. And so that's erected. And then we come to the time of Malachi, the closing of the Old Testament. And you see the Spirit of God dealing with the priesthood. Read Malachi. Those priests were so hard-hearted that everything that Malachi told them, thus saith the Lord, 
you know, you're not giving your best. You're not loving your wife. You're not taking care of your children. Every accusation, they said, why would God say that to us? We're not doing that. Read it. And they just completely resisted God. And then uh, it's not written in the pages of our Bible, but you come into the time of the Maccabees and that whole 300-year period between Malachi and Herod's temple. And you see how Antiochus Epiphanes came and defiled the temple. Again, just a removing, a removing. What God gave, we defiled, and he removed it. And what we're supposed to be learning from this, what we're supposed to be learning from this, there's, mm-hmm, there's a whole other part to this, but I'm just going to go with, with what I'm sharing right now. What we're supposed to be learning from this ultimately is that we can't do it without Christ, the head. This whole kingdom now thing is completely erroneous because nobody's going to be able to govern politically or religiously until Christ returns. We can't do it and we aren't meant to do it without the head. And the body of Christ, we are to hold to the head, it says in Colossians. Everything comes from the head, that's Jesus Christ. But the political and the, and the wicked religious systems of man are always trying to come between us and the head. Always. You look back at Jeroboam, what happened? God raised him up as a judge because Rehoboam was being cruel to the people. In very short order, Jer- Jeroboam says in his heart, Oh man, if I let the people go home and worship, they might abandon me and stay with Rehoboam. So he institutes a whole system of false religion. He builds his own little worship system there. It puts people who are not called of God into the priesthood, trying to keep God's people for himself. And that is a spirit that started at the beginning of the time of the kings, and then he, he brought in wicked spirits of, uh, of divination and uh, witchcraft and false worship that plagued the kingdom for the whole 400 years. But God did this not because he was expecting it to be a success. He did it so that throughout eternity we are going to know that we couldn't do it. That at our best, with God's best religious system, it can't be done. We need Jesus Christ. At the end, when they were carried away into Babylon, God raises up Daniel. Daniel is given a vision of the head of gold, the the statue with the head of gold and all the way down to the feet of clay, which just to summarize it is the four major kingdoms that would take us through the rest of history until the coming of Christ again. I want you to notice where Daniel stood in the timeline of history. He stood at the end of the kingdom of Israel and the beginning of the empires of the world. He stood between the two like if his arms were. He stood right between the two. Now, there's another man who stood between two systems. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born to Zacharias and Elizabeth, and he was part of the priesthood. He was part of the lineage of the Levitical priesthood. He should have been By human reason, he should have been in the temple being a priest, but he was not. When he was young, the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness. Why? Why didn't God put John in the temple and and make him get in there and get everything right? Why didn't he bring a revival to the temple through John? 
Why was he out in the wilderness? And even more than that, why were people going to him? Because once again, the system, the religious system had grown cold and dead, and it didn't have anything to offer the people. So when they heard about John out there, they went. But here's what the Lord showed me this morning that I believe he wanted to share with you. John the Baptist stood between the era of the temple, the old temple, and here he is, he's born, and we never see him going there to enter the priesthood. We see him instead going out into the wilderness with God, and then we see the people following him, and then he begins to do something very strange and baptize them in water. What is that about? Let's read this. We'll just read this scripture, and I'm going to end with this part in Matthew chapter 3. Praise God. Starting with verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now remember, this is a people that only understood the promises to the kingdom of Israel. For 300 years, they have been waiting for the promised one to come and restore them to political power. That's what they understood. And here's this man talking about not the kingdom of Israel is about to come, but the kingdom of heaven. What is he talking about? For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. They were all drawn to him by the Spirit of God, and they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. John was actually being a priest. The kingdom of God was about to come. For hundreds of years, they had been sacrificing animals, sacrificing the Passover lambs for the remission of sins, for the sprinkling of the remissions of sins. It would take away their guilt of sin before God, but it would never change the heart. Do you remember when Jesus said at the Last Supper, this is my body and this is my blood and and, uh, take and eat and drink? But a little bit before that, he said... There was one time when almost all his disciples left him, and it was when he said, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. They didn't understand that at all. And so what we have here is John. In the temple, when they would do Passover, the priests would stand outside, and they would sacrifice the lambs. They would sacrifice the animals, that they would get blood all over them and they would get filthy and then they would go to the brazen labor and wash themselves so that they could go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, near to God. They had to be cleaned first, but nobody was allowed to use the brazen labor except the priest. Hallelujah. They were about to have the presence of God, the kingdom of God, come close to them. And John, the priest, 
was washing them. He was washing them because they were about to go into the holy place. They were about to enter into a new covenant. What I find fascinating is I know nobody understood this, yet the Holy Spirit was drawing these people. And, and they weren't being washed from the, from the filth and the, and the dirtiness of, of killing animals. They are being washed from their sins. But the two are related, aren't they? So they're about to go into the holy place. What's in the holy place in the temple? The showbread, the seven golden candlesticks, the incense, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the bread from heaven, the very essence and presence of God was about to appear. Make straight the pathways. Prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm talking to you today about there was an end of one kind of kingdom, an earthly kingdom, an end of one kind of temple, an earthly temple, and John stood right between the two. And those blind religious leaders had no clue who he was or what he was about. They had no clue. They were completely puzzled by him. But the people of God were drawn, whether they understood it or not. They had hungry hearts, and they were drawn. So, so one day, hallelujah, it was the priest's job to inspect the Passover lamb, to make sure that it was clean and worthy. And one day, John is baptizing, and here comes a man. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. 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 John was a priest. John was a priest. Hallelujah. And, and he doesn't want to baptize Jesus because he had told the people, Hey, you know what? I'm baptizing with water for the remission of sins, but there's one coming whose shoes I'm not worthy to take off. I'm not worthy to take off his shoes and baptize him. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And Jesus says, John, baptize me. He says, no, Lord, no. But Jesus said for the fulfilling of all things. And when he is baptized, when he is put into the water, even though he had no sins to be washed, the heavens are open. And God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hallelujah. He was saying, yes, yes, this is the lamb. I will be pleased with this offering. I accept this offering. He will take away every sin. Only he is worthy. Only him will I receive. For the blood of Jesus has cleansed the sins of man from eternity, from 6,000 years ago until he comes again. His blood is completely able, perfect, and worthy. And God spoke from heaven and said, yes, I accept him. John was being a priest of the Most High God. Oh, my God, to be led of the Spirit. To be led of the Spirit. Hallelujah. How easy it would have been for him to go into the priesthood of the man's systems. But he was led by the Spirit of God. What a man, what a heart, what a vision, what an obedience. Praise God. Praise God. So let me go back to the temple. <laughs> so in the tabernacle, God starts with the Holy of Holies and makes an institution by which he can reach out to mankind and hold on to them until Jesus would come. But when he made the temple, the very temple that would be standing 
not the very temple, but the temple would be rebuilt. But the temple in the same place that would be standing when the Lamb of Glory would come, he started at the outer court where Jesus would be placed on the altar as the Passover lamb. And then he went into the holy place. John had washed and Jesus had washed us that we could go with him. Jesus led the procession through the holy place and into the holy of holies where the veil had been rent. And for the first time, for the first time, it wasn't all God reaching down to man, but men could reach up to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, whosoever will, whosoever will. It's no matter, no longer just Abraham and the children of Abraham, but we've been grafted in. Whosoever will may come. Hallelujah. 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 God does not want his people any longer to allow anything coming between him and them. His very heart is laid open to us. We need to lay aside everything that holds us back, religious ideas, worldly ideas. The price that was paid was great, that we might come unto him. So, sisters and brothers, let's come unto him. You are on the edge of a great move of God, and all he wants us to do is lead people to him. The more we keep going through the temple and up into the Holy of Holies and connecting with God, they're going to follow us. They're going to follow us. But if we are veering off and say, you can't save somebody with a doctrine. You can't save somebody with an idea. We've got to tell them about the Lamb of Glory. We've got to lead them to the Father. We've got to lead them to the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost lead them. We need the fullness of the gospel. And this is the hour that the Lord is wanting us to throw off all of the shackles and become people of God. You know, in the Holy of Holies, only one priest went in at one time. Our relationship with God the Father is one-on-one. It's one-on-one. And we're only going to get as much of him as we're willing to go in by ourselves and get. With no high priest, Jesus is our high priest. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you for making the way, Lord God. Thank you that we could flow unto you now. Hallelujah, that you've cleansed us. You've cleansed us. That we we drink of your blood. It no longer sprinkles the outside, but it's given us a new heart and a new conscience and a new mind. Almighty God, let us eat of your word like the Passover lamb, leaving nothing left out, eating the whole thing. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Just worship him with me for a minute and praise him. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the lamb. Hallelujah. We thank you for the lamb. Jesus, we thank you that we are the new temple. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus. Abba, Father, I ask you to give revelation to us that we are the temple, living stones for your presence. Build it together, a habitation for your spirit. Lord God, give us a revelation. Burn off all the extra things that don't belong 
Burn off all the systems of men and human understanding, Lord God. Make us a pure, a holy, a tried temple for your presence, Lord God, that the nations might flow unto you by what they see in us, your temple, Lord God. Let that individual responsibility of relationships sink in, Lord God. Help us to know who we are in you and how much you love each one of us and are drawing and calling us to you. Lord God, I ask you to give revelation to every person here of their calling, their purpose, their beauty, their gifts. Each one is a beautiful stone, Lord God, that you foreordained and they have a purpose. And I rebuke the devil that would lie to anyone here. They would lie to these young people and say you have no special purpose. Satan, you're a liar. And I ask for revelation to come, mighty God. Let revelation come. And Lord, let revelation come to the homes, to the houses. The revelation of your love and your purposes in having a godly family and a godly seed, Lord God. Do a mighty thing in this place. Do a mighty thing in this place for the whole world is looking for you, Lord God. Let us rise to the occasion and let him be seen in us, Father. We will give you all the glory. We will give you all the praise. Don't let us leave a single word, a single morsel of the lamb that we've received in these last four days, Lord God. Let us eat it all. God, renew, renew an affection for you like we've never known. An affection for your word, a hunger and a thirst that's deeper than we've known, Lord God. Take us deeper and higher. For the price has been paid and the veil has been rent. You are mighty and awesome. There's no limit to you, Lord God. Let us come in and partake. You have everything that we need today. Every need that's represented here, Lord God. Every hurting heart, every discouragement. Everything that's represented here today. I ask you to heal ask you to touch your people, ask you to encourage your people, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 We just thank you, Lord. Praise God. Before we pray, I I just want to take this opportunity as we always try to to reach out to somebody who's not saved today if you're here today you have you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior Jesus is waiting for you with an open arm maybe you said I've tried it I've been I backslid today's your day to come back home Jesus is here. Amen. Every head bowed. If you're here, just lift up your hands. Wherever you're at, if you want to accept Jesus Christ, if you say, I need him today, I want to make him my Savior. 